Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray to hear and receive your word as it is, your word to us, your word of love, your word from you revealing your purpose, your will, revealing how you sent Jesus into the earth to save your people. We thank you for who you, who you are, and we pray, I think of what the psalmist said, today if you hear his voice, may you not be like the fathers of old who hardened their hearts, so may we have soft hearts as we hear and respond to your word, in Jesus' name, amen. And one more time, I would ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word, which this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our theme for Advent this year could be summarized by what it says here in verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. A light shining in the darkness, and the darkness will not and cannot overcome it. This is a prophecy from Zechariah. And to give you a little historical background, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And if you remember what happened when the angel came to him and said, Zechariah, I've got some good news for you and your wife Elizabeth. Are you, are you sitting down? Are you with me for this? You know, because I want you to pay attention. You're old in years. This may not make a lot of sense to you. You're about to have a baby. And of course, Zechariah, how did he respond? I love Zechariah because he's a lot like us, very human, you know? Like, we'd like to say we believe automatically. We have no doubts, right? I'm a liar, you're a liar, we're all liars if we think that. Let's be honest here, okay? Zechariah didn't believe, and what happened? He was struck mute for nine months. He couldn't speak. And then what happens? His son is born, and they ask his name. You know, you're going to name him after the dad, Zechariah, all of a sudden, he opens his mouth, his name will be John. And of course, I want you to notice one of the things we learn in the text. Whenever someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, what do they do? They speak. Because the text tells us, Luke narrates and reminds us that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he sang, he prophesied, he spoke, he proclaimed. What did he proclaim? The truth 
of salvation because verse 71 gives us the theme of his song. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Salvation is the theme of Zechariah's spirit-filled, spirit-governed prophecy, his song of praise. But salvation, much in that time, and I'm afraid I think a lot of times in our time as well, salvation was very much misunderstood by the nation of Israel. And before we get too critical, I'm not sure how much we understand the concept of salvation. See, Israel thought salvation was largely political. Kick those dirty Romans out. Let's have our nation. As long as we get our nation, get those intruders, those invaders out, they didn't understand that salvation was largely from spiritual foes, like our own sin and self-centeredness. As one commentator put it, this is where the revolution has to begin. Before there can be a right relationship between man and man, there must be a right relationship between man and God. And the sin, which spoils, must be repented of and removed. Verse 77 gives us the theme of this song, of this prophecy very well when it says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of sin. Zechariah who before couldn't speak, now has his tongue loosened and his speech restored so he could proclaim the wonders of God. And he could proclaim the wonders of salvation. Friends, here's the proposal, the proposition I want to make for you this morning. We need to have a right understanding of salvation. We need to have the knowledge of the concept of salvation. We need to understand what it is and what it means for us. We're going to look at it through this text in three ways. We're going to look at why we need it, what it is, and how it impacts our lives. Why we need it, kind of, I can't give the full comprehensive view of what it is, but we're going to kind of laser-like focus, I like to call it. Kind of like you want some, Shane, you want your eagles to have laser-like focus, don't you, this afternoon against the Texans. Laser-like focus will give it one aspect of the heart of salvation and then how it impacts our lives. Okay? Why do we need it? In verse 77, I've already referred to it, but it kind of says to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. There's our need right there, our sins. Now, I know I was off last week, but I haven't forgotten completely how to do this, even though it's only been two weeks. I know that we need to have the bad news before we have the good news. And the bottom line, here's a thesis for you, you will only be transformed, you will only be gripped, you will only have your heart truly galvanized by the good news to the degree that you comprehend, really comprehend, not just an intellectual abstract, but really comprehend the reality of sin, not just in the world, but in our lives as well. See, sin is a very misunderstood concept, especially in our day and culture. I'm afraid many view it as simply kind of a breaking of the rules. Oops, I lied. I gossiped. I maybe, you know, stole something from work or did something. It's breaking the law of God, and that is it. But friends, it is so much more. One writer put it this way. He says, why do people do the things they do? Is my problem fundamentally an informational one? Will a well-researched, logical set of insights provide the solution? Or is my problem fundamentally experiential? So maybe seeing a therapist and dealing with my past will solve all my problems. Or is my problem fundamentally biological? 
will helping me achieve chemical balance, tranquility, solve my problems. He goes on to say the Bible says that our core problem, the root, the fundamental reason what we do is sin. Scripture defines sin as a condition that results in behavior. We are all sinners, and because of this, we do sinful things. Friends, we all have the disease. Don't bother wearing a mask. Don't bother washing your hands. Don't bother being a germaphobe. Okay? Don't think you can be a cynophobe. Yeah, I just coined a word. <laughs> Don't think you can be a cynophobe and avoid sin. You live in a broken world. And let me tell you something. You are a broken self. We live in a broken world, and we are broken ourselves. So what is this condition? What is the disease of sin that we all share? At its core, the first thing it does is it violates God's authority. At core, sin is being your own master and your own savior. It is at its basic core, a turning away from God to be your own God. See, what does God primarily have the right to do? He's sovereign. He has the right to be the master and the Lord and the king of, of our lives. What is sin? Sin is turning away from God, basically saying, I know better, I'll do according to me, and I'll be the determiner of my fate, the captain of my soul, the master of my own happiness, and I will be my own God. That's its core. Now, we're very innovative and very creative in how we express that. But the core is a turning away from God to decide what's right in our own eyes. As the writer to the judges said, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And see, because sin is this violation of God's authority, this turning away from God, it also violates God's design. God designed us. He's the architect. He creates the blueprint. He makes us. He designs us. He knows how we will flourish. He knows how we will tick. And so when we turn away from God, you know what we're doing? We are building our lives, building our identity on something other than God. Which leads to, we think, just let me do what I want, and I'll be free. The paradox of it is when we do what we want, it leads to slavery and corruption. And then it violates God's peace. Which is why verse 79, remember I said Christmas and salvation is all about restoration. Verse 79 says, he will guide our feet in the way of peace. Salvation is the restoration of peace. And that word peace is such a rich, pregnant word. To the Hebrews, it was shalom. It was shalom. And I think no one, there's no better definition or description of sin violating or disrupting shalom than the one provided by Cornelius Plantinga in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. He says, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs. He says, shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. We may safely then describe evil as any spoiling of shalom, whether physically, morally, spiritually, or otherwise. Sin is the disruption or disturbance of what God has designed. 
and it leads to disintegrate both its victims and its perpetrators. The text tells us that we will be delivered from our enemies. Do we recognize that we are our own worst enemy? That we are our chief enemy? And sin is the restoration, or excuse me, salvation is the restoration. And this leads us to our second point, the heart of sin. Here's the laser-like focus. Look with me. It says in verse 77, we've talked about this where he says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins. Now, what exactly is forgiveness? Because we really need to have a good understanding of this. The best definition of forgiveness I've heard is the one offered by Tim Keller, who says the essence of forgiveness is to cancel the debt caused by the wrong done by absorbing the cost yourself. Let me read that again. The essence of forgiveness is to cancel the debt caused by the wrong done by absorbing the cost yourself. See, the way we break it down is, first of all, the first step in forgiveness is to cancel the debt. Forgiveness means to cancel the debt. The first step of a forgiving step that we do, see, we have to recognize that when somebody sins against us, and when we sin against God, there is a debt. The universe is based on justice, and a debt has to be paid. So the first step of a forgiving step is that you don't take revenge, you don't make the other person pay. The emotional debt of pain, that is there, that's reality, that is there, but you pay it down yourself. Let's look at it from a practical point of view. Dr. Keller gives the illustration, he says, when someone wrongs you, the premise of this point is that it creates an emotional debt of pain. It is a debt that you feel, a sense of obligation that this person owes you. Someone wrongs you and there is a debt. That's a reality. He says, what do I mean by paying it down? He says, what most people do, what we do when we're not forgiven, and remember, forgiveness is a commitment. It's not always an emotional feeling. doesn't mean you're going to say, oh, I'm in love with that person. It is a commitment to pay down the debt. He says, what does it mean when we're making the other person pay it down? He says, We make the other person pay, and there's all sorts of ways of making the other person pay. There are direct ways. You can insult them. You can be cold to them. You can be harsh to them. You can withdraw your friendship from them. He says there are also indirect ways. You can gossip about them. You can slander them. You can try to ruin their reputation in some way. He says, all of those things have one thing in common. You are trying to make that person pay down the debt. And why do you do it? Because it makes yourself feel better. You're paying down the debt. The debt is going down because you're making them pay. You're not letting them off scot-free. But now let's remember, Jesus said, forgive as the Lord forgave us. How did the Lord forgive us? See, we sinned against him, and we owed him. We have a debt. What is that debt? The wages of sin is death. We owe God our life. That's what sin deserves. And the book of James says, if you keep the whole law, but break it at any one point. So I don't care. Now, I'm not going to believe this, but if you come to me and you say, but Jeff, I've lived a great life. I mean, I have lived a perfect life. I'm going to ask you, what did you do at the age of six? 
And if the age of six you even thought about lying to your parents once, I'm going to go, you broke the whole thing. That's what James says. If you keep the whole law, which guess what? James would have something to say about that. He'd say, I doubt it. And you break it at any one point, you've broken the whole thing. And the wages of that breaking the whole law is death. That's what you owe God. Now, what did Jesus do? He took that payment. He paid down that debt himself by dying on the cross. He took the justice of God upon himself and so canceled the debt and then said, it is finished. So that we are what? We are free. We owe God nothing. We are liberated. We are forgiven. And so when we go, see, what do we mean by paying it down in our relationships with others? It might mean things like every time you want to rehash the past with a person and you don't. You're absorbing the cost itself as Jesus absorbed the cost. Every time you want to be cold to them and instead you're warm and friendly. You're absorbing the cost. The pain is passing into you just like the pain passed into Jesus. He absorbed our cost and the result is we are forgiven. Our debt is paid. The second aspect of salvation that Zechariah prophecies and sings about Look with me at verse 68 when he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah and his prophecy focuses salvation in that one word, redemption. Isn't it interesting? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, he says, When Christ came into the world, right it to the Hebrews is reflecting on the incarnation. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. Jesus is praising his Father, saying, Father, you don't desire sacrifices and offerings, but a body that the Father has prepared for the Son. And who is that body? That is us. That is the church. That is the body of Christ. We are the body that the Father has prepared and that Jesus has redeemed and bought back for himself. See, in that word redeem, he's utilizing a concept that would be very familiar to an Old Testament Christian. The word redemption means to buy back by paying the price of a ransom. The Father has prepared a body for the Son, and Jesus says, I'll pay the price, because that is my body, which means to us how loved are we, how secure are we. It means we are his, and he is ours. We are in him, and he is in us. I don't think you can get any more secure than that. So how do we live that out? I don't know how often you look at our website and look, did you realize we had a purpose statement? I don't often mention it and stuff like that, but we do. The purpose statement is really simple. Living out of the gospel in the church, in the community, and in the world. How do we live out the gospel? Verse 74 tells us exactly what the intention of this was. To deliver us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Do you know that that is an amazing verse? We are delivered from the hand of our enemies. Remember, our, our chief enemy is ourselves. 
and we are delivered from the hand of our enemies and enabled, which means we are given an ability, a power, not from our performance, not from our achievement. This is not something you have to work up or work for as a gift. God, by His Spirit, enables you to do something. And it's very simple, to be His kingdom servant, to serve Him, and because of the security and because of the forgiveness, to serve Him without fear, to serve Him without thinking, oh, Will I do good enough? Will I blow it? What if Jeff asks me to do something? I can't do that. I better not do that. The gospel enables you to serve without fear in holiness and righteousness. Forgiveness, deliverance, rescue, redemption is for the purpose of being enabled to be his kingdom servants, to be his tools in building a new humanity, making this world his home, his dream come to earth as it is in heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote this amazing verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, his intent, now listen to these words very carefully. His intent, meaning God's intent. Here's what's in the mind of God, the purpose of God. Here's what God was aiming for. Was that now, okay, so not just in the future, in the present, through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God, How manifold, what's that mean? The variety, the bigness of the wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying right now God is on his throne, God is in heaven, and the rulers and the authorities are there. And God is saying, I want to show you something. I want to show you my manifold wisdom. I want it to be on display. And, you know, if it were me, I'd be, oh, look, he did that before. Things like let there be light. I think that's his manifold wisdom. That's kind of a big deal. Incarnation. And he says, no, look at my family. And I'm going, Paul, did you get that right? I'm not sure. Did you mishear something? He says, no, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be on display for the principalities and power. I've been reading a book by Fleming Rutledge about Advent through the Advent season, and she writes this. She says, the Christian church is the vanguard of God's conquering future inserted into this present evil age. We, the church, are the paratroopers dropped behind enemy lines. We, the church, are the resistance fighters in the territory occupied by the enemy, delivered from the hand of their enemies. They serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness. How do we do that? How do we be the vanguard of God's conquering future? How do we be the resistance fighters inserted into this present evil age? The answer is simpler than you thought. Be the church. Be who we are. Do not neglect the habit of meeting together, the writer to the Hebrews says, as some are in the habit of doing. Faithfully hungering for the teaching of God's word, the fellowship of the saints, and the proclamation of the truth of the gospel. Do you want to know how we push back enemy territory? We be the church committed to worship and teaching, and fellowship, and the proclamation, and standing in the truth of the gospel. 
I don't know if any of you have heard of or been praying for the people of Early Rain Covenant Church of Chengdu, China. Anybody hear of them? Anybody familiar with them? Okay. Well, we're two for two, both services. I'm going to make you a little aware of them so we can be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Chengdu, China. On December 9th, they are a reformed church pastored by a man by the name of Wang Yi. And on December 9th, more than 100 members of this unregistered house church were arrested by the Chinese authorities, including Pastor Wang Yi and his wife, for, and here's the official charge, inciting to subvert state power. As of the update I read yesterday, more than 150 have been arrested, five have gone missing, and nearly all of their 700 members are being continually monitored for their activities. Now, what do they do? They continue to meet together, holding fast to God's word, committed to worship, bravely preaching and hearing the truth. God's intent was now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God in a people enabled to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness, standing firm in the truth, proclaiming the gospel, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And this church, in the face of persecution, is still doing that and standing up. In a few minutes, Rick Bartholomew is going to lead us in the pastoral prayer, and I've asked him to pray for Pastor Wang Yi, his wife, and these members. Friends, do we see that we've been delivered from the hand of our enemies? Not, and I want you to enjoy Christmas. I want you to enjoy the good food. Go off your diets for a couple days. Enjoy food and fellowship and one another. But friends, the purpose of life is not, I'm saved, I'm going to sit back and whistle and wait till I go to heaven. The purpose of life is that God, by His Spirit, because we are in Him and He is in us, we are the body that has been prepared for Jesus by God the Father, are enabled by the Spirit to serve Him, to be kingdom servants in holiness and righteousness. We live in an area that needs the truth of Jesus Christ. We live in one of the fastest growing areas in the country. I think I read somewhere this past week that there have been over two and a half million new residents to the state of Florida in the last four years. They need the gospel. We are here, enabled by the Spirit. This is not our work. The Spirit has been gifted to you to proclaim the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that when Zechariah was filled with the Spirit, he spoke. And Lord, help us to not compare ourselves and say, oh, he was so eloquent. Help us to speak up, to proclaim Jesus, to just simply say to our neighbors and friends, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Help us to love our neighbors. Help us simply to be the church. Early Rain Covenant Church is not doing anything extraordinary. You know what they're doing? They're worshiping. 
Their pastor has written, we are not out, our mission is not to change political or social institutions, our mission is to proclaim the gospel. And friends, that's, what, that's the mission that we have. So Lord, I pray that we would stand in the truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.